Do you ever envy science fiction characters? All the boys in the room were like, yeah, all the time. <laughs> Girls too. You know, you could pick one. Maybe you want the strength of the Incredible Hulk, um, but maybe not the temper. You know? um, the smarts of Tony Stark, the abilities of Superman. He kind of gets every, a little bit, of, like a lot of everything, actually. Um, maybe you want, you know, Wonder Woman's strengths or her lasso or Jean Grey's um, uh, abilities with her mind. I'm going a different route this morning. I envy Mr. Spock from Star Trek sometimes. Not because of his ears. Um, um, nothing against those ears, but that's not what I was thinking of. Spock's ability to live by pure logic minus emotions intrigues me. Occasionally, he would have some, some signs of emotion. I know some of the, the Trekkies in the room were like, uh-uh, sometimes he did have some emotions. But for the most part, uh, Spock was predictable, logical. I mean, what would it be like without emotions? Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we, you know, switched, a switch that we had could enable us to turn off and on our emotions? You know, when things are going well, at least by our definition of well, we could keep the switch on. Yay, emotions! Some of you just got really uncomfortable when I did that. <laughs> um, but when life is falling apart, we could turn the emotion switch off, you know? That'd be nice. I feel terrible. You know, switch. Everything's fine. You know, <clears throat> we can think like that, but in, in all reality, it's, it's actually quite good that God didn't make us that way. The Bible says that God made us in his image, and emotions are part of his creative work in us. Now note, God is not like us. He is perfect, impassable, and unchanging in the sense that mysteriously all the emotions within his character are displayed in holiness, perfection, and are part of his unchanging nature. That's why the study of God is, yeah, can hurt the brain sometimes because he's so infinite and holy. But God himself displays a variety of emotions in relation to man. He is wholly loving, compassionate, and merciful, but he also can be wholly grieved, wholly jealous, wholly rightfully wrathful, angry. Knowing all people and events as he has ordained, God has a distinct affectionate attitude toward each one, each human, each one of us, as appropriate to his holy, unchanging nature. It's hard for us to understand how, you know, jealousy or anger can be holy in God, but to be honest, that's because we're sinful, fallen, finite human beings. Emotions given to us by our Creator serve a purpose in God's plan if we'll listen to Him. The challenge we face is learning how to manage them in a way that pleases the Lord. Too often, many of us maybe could wear the slogan on a, on a T-shirt that's been, you know, saying popularized by millennials, I just cannot even, you know. That's not how we want to be. How can we have and even feel hope when there isn't any reason to have hope? You ever been there? When our dreams are crashing and our stress is rising, where do we get hope? 
some would say to us tritely, we must keep our, up our hopes. Okay, that's all they had to say. Just keep your hopes up. Why? They have no reason. It's just wishful thinking. But the Bible tells us to find our hope in God, not in our circumstances or in our natural optimism, if you have it, or our pessimism, or in our family or friends. We are to find hope in and from God. So how is this possible to have hope in the midst of sadness? How is it possible to have hope when you're in the throes of pain and anxiety and depression? It happens when we realize how great God is and how great his love is for us in Jesus Christ. When that happens, we realize that life is not not all, but what's in this life is not all there is, but what's ahead of us in God and in heaven if we know Jesus. So is your hope in God today both for this life and the life to come. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, page 494, 495, in the Bible that's provided for you there in the pew. As you're opening there, the book of Psalms, as you know, are the inspired prayer and praise book of ancient Israel that points to lasting hope in the person and work of Messiah. The Psalms are specific about emotions, very specific, about desires and sufferings of the people of God. They're refreshingly honest, aren't they? It makes the Psalms a great source of comfort and encouragement to God's people, articulating honest, the honest struggles of the soul. The human authors of the Psalms talk to and at their own souls. They pray to God, but they also talk to themselves about God about their sin. They bear their, these, the authors in the Psalms, they, they bear their hearts. They analyze their problems. They chide and encourage themselves. It's tremendous. The Psalms teach us to, the real value of being honest with ourselves and God. And this morning we're in this, what's called the, the second division of the Psalter. This is the book of Psalms, the Psalter has five divisions. You know, the five books of Moses, this is often referred to as the five books of David because most of them were written by King David. We're in the second division of the Psalter as we narrow in the context. Uh, And the second book goes from 42 to 72, and it highlights God's power to establish and protect. The God who seems hidden during stressful times responds to seeking penitent uh, remnant worshipers. That's the sense of that section of the Psalter. Psalm 42, as you can look at there in the text, is a, a masculine or contemplative poem by the worship leaders during the days of David and Solomon, known as the sons of Korah, who were Levites. Now, I think that's interesting. We shouldn't just blow by that. Uh, they were descendants of Korah. Some of you, your, you know, your, your signals went off as soon as you heard that name. You've been reading your Old Testament this year. You're, he was known for rebellion and judgment that fell on him, and the great judgment that fell on him and those who followed him. But his descendants, well, they were spared. And it's as if they were committed to music and thanksgiving on account of being spared. Just because your ancestor or parent, you know, were reprobate doesn't mean you have to follow. And so you see this recording of this this very honest and uh, contemplative poem and lament right here. 
Even those who have to get up and lead in worship have to do it in the midst of their own trials and difficulties, don't they? God's still worthy of his praises. And so we have this very honest and frank uh, psalm here in Psalm 42. Let's read now together God's word. Look at God's word right here. Psalm 42 for the choir director, a mask of the sons of Korah. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart. How I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones. While all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. This is God's word. This psalm, as you can see, it's about spiritual depression and how to preach to yourself the truths of God's word. Spiritual depression is living in a state of perplexity, fear, and sadness, just to be clear. The psalmist here shows us how to pray, how to remember, and how to hope in the middle of spiritual depression. Here's the central point for you there there in your bulletin. God alone can help us through spiritual depression. God alone can help us through spiritual depression. Therefore, seek God's face so that he may lift yours. Seek God's face so that he may lift yours. Number one, express yourself honestly in prayer. Express yourself honestly in prayer. I remember the first time I heard a Bible teacher at Southeastern. Uh, He was a, a blind man. He got up and spoke in chapel And he said, he was talking about this, and he specifically said, you might as well say it, he knows what you're thinking anyway. Bear your soul to the Lord. And you can't miss the expressions of anguish. Did you see them in the text? I mean, this dude is in pain. Everything seems to be on top of him. He can't control his feelings. There's the haunting image there of the the deer in himself. The deer is not sliding up to the stream for a sip. He's panting for water, either from danger or from drought. That's the image there. 
Sometimes that phrase, that first verse is used, has the deer, you know, it's kind of used in a breathy way. This is a, a deer desperate for water who's been running. Verse 3, and you can see there in your outline, I'm covering verses 1 through 3, 6 and 7, and then 9 through 10 in this section. Verse 3, what are you to do when all you've had for breakfast? Look at verse 3. All you've had for breakfast is tears, followed by a late night snack of sorrow. If you're worried and anxious, you lose your appetite, don't you? So, I mean, I, I can get like that. How about you? You don't want food when things are really rough. Indeed, it seems almost repulsive to you when you're under great strain. This is someone to pity. I mean, your heart goes out to this person as you're reading about them. Or at least it should. But no, there, there were those in the text who were doing their utmost to depress him further. Where is your God? They ask. You know, some will delight in your suffering and they despise your blessings. And verse 9 and 10 reveal how this has caused him to feel oppressed, taunted, and crushed. In verse 7, the symbol of the powers of chaos and evil, look at there, are crashing in upon him as he speaks about the waters and the waves and the deep. His woes were incessant and overflowing. It's like it's coming up to his neck right there. It's even pressing his head down. You know, but something important to see here is these are God's breakers and billows, aren't they? The powers of chaos and trouble and evil that threatened the psalmist's life, perhaps maybe David helped them write this, either way, are not beyond God's sovereign control. They all must submit to his overarching lordship and providence. Now, you know what? This, might be a, this can be a frightening doctrine. What kind of God is this whose purpose includes so much distress Friends, isn't the alternative a God whose purpose is continually being frustrated by evil even more frightening? The Bible reveals a God whose mystery we cannot understand, but who has given us grounds for trusting him when we cannot understand what's going on. Rather than one whose adequacy we cannot rely on or whose interests we cannot be sure of. We certainly can be sure of our sovereign God. We are to lean into him and commune with him under his sovereign reign and providence, his superintending of all things. In prayer, it's like this. God, you have appointed this for me, this pain for me. Help me to see this. Help me to lean into you more, Lord. Not my will, but thine be done Help me to see you by faith. Amen. In Jesus' name. Look at the waves are coming down hard. The bodily pain provoked by mental fear. Satanic ideas stir mistrustful feelings. Outward tribulation is coupled with inward anguish. He's got it on both fronts. The outside is in pain and the inside is in pain. You know, grief can kill a person emotionally and physically if not counteracted with God's strength and power, our personal weakness may debilitate us, even take us out. You, know, you can't help but see, it's not, it's not part of, I, I just wanted to reference there, verse 4, you know, that phrase there, pour out my heart. 
means to get into one's own heart. It's a version of what sometimes getting in touch with your feelings here. To look honestly at your doubts, desires, fears, and hopes. This man is not over in a corner looking at himself. He's exposing his inner being to God. The soul is, if you look at the picture here, in, in both of the deer and in of the waves, you see that this soul here is both in drought and drowning. You see that? As he prays honestly before the Lord. He's both you know, starving for water, dying of thirst, but also drowning in the text. And he pours out his heart to the Lord in prayer. Let's consider some applications here. Spiritual depression is a very common condition in the Bible, and there are many contributing factors to it. I mean, have you ever been so down that you couldn't see a way to climb out? I mean, we should express this in prayer to God so we can get our minds set on Him. And that is key, beloved. However, I can tell my soul that all day long, you need to pray, but if I don't take the initial steps, it's not going to happen. Have you considered what we turn to when we do not turn to God. I kind of want to approach this from that negative side so we could not go back to those ways and instead turn to God in prayer. Uh, Billy Graham observed some helpful observations. He said, in, quote, in grief, people tend to become critical of others who are continuing life as usual. Find someone to blame. Why not blame God? Verse 9, why have you forgotten me? He quotes here. These feelings aren't new, end quote. He noted some negative, uh, Graham noted some things here I want to share with you all this morning, that things, negative things that we turn to, like panic. He said, I imagine all sorts of terrible things in panic. I think I'm losing my mind. The grief-stricken person seems to lose the ability to concentrate, which adds to his panic. Panic may lead to emotional paralysis. You ever been there? Where the anxieties continue to pile up and pile up and pile up? He also noted anger, resentment along there with panic. Just a few faces of grief. None of these reactions are abnormal. Like soldiers going into battle, though, we need to be prepared for grief. We do ourselves, our children, uh, and those we commune with in the church, no good if we don't help each other and ourselves prepare for grief. That's why we have God's word. And so I want to help share some helpful preparations so that we can be honest before the Lord in prayer, not just about our suffering, but our tendencies too. If I could just spend some time on this and try to be helpful. Martin Lloyd-Jones said there's nothing more futile than the assumption that all Christians are identical in every respect. They are not. He exhorts us to consider internal, in his, in his uh, well-known book, many of you, some of you have read it, he, he exhorted the reader to consider internal and external and even spiritual contributors to spiritual depression. You know, some in the room will be tempted to mostly look at their problems as outside of them, where they're focused on more surfacey problems and not root issues. That's one type. Some in the room will be tempted to mostly look at their problems as inside of them, where they are focused on vain regrets and they can analyze things to death. 
Some folks need healthy examination. And some need to stop going too far into morbid self-examination. So what can help us here? Well, let's just think about these cases a little bit as we explore the soul. For some, we, for some uh, you know, we morbidly do nothing but examine ourselves. We play out every bad scenario, and such self-examination and worry are not to become our main pursuit. You have worries about worries. For others, we reflect too little on our actual nature and our inner character, assuming it's always good. Well, that's not healthy either. I have, at different stages, fallen in both extremes. How about you? Are you? So what I'm asking in this time of shepherding and pastoring from in the preaching here is, are you looking for these extremes right now in your life? You know, before you correct someone else, do you freely admit where these things are going on in your own life? Again, Dr. Lord, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that those tempted toward morbid self-inspection tend to struggle more with spiritual depression. You know, pastors throughout church history are prone to this, being their own worst critics coupled with outward criticism. Look at Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Paul, Luther, and many other subject to this particular type of decline. And inward overanalyzation, friends, can depress. Sometimes it's the more we think about ourselves, the worse it gets. Do you rehearse your own bad news even though it has not happened yet? You ever do that? Just go on. This is the, you're just forecasting the bad news before it even arrives. And then it just you spin. You can't sleep. And you know it's not a good pursuit to chase that. Internal factors. How about external ones? Briefly. They can also provoke spiritual depression. Some hold the view that as long as you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what the condition of your health or your body is. But friends, conditional matters play their part in this too. How about tiredness? Overstrain? Ongoing illness? Friends, these are not separate from our total person, are they? You cannot isolate the spiritual from the physical, for we are body, mind, and soul, aren't we? There are certain people who constitutionally, almost in a physical sense, are prone to this condition of spiritual depression. Our bodies are fallen if you haven't learned that yet. You will live long enough. And it can impact our hormones, our brains. It's, very, it's not something to take lightly, friends. And there are certain physical ailments that tend to promote depression. And there are external factors that have their impact on People we know that we would quote from church history like Calvin or Spurgeon. Deep physical trials that also impacted them spiritually, emotionally. And there are brothers and sisters in this church who are suffering with it all the time. The greatest and best Christians when they are physically weak are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression uh, than at any other time. Think of like Job. You want to read a physical... Situation which turns into spiritual depression. Read Job. It's right there. And so yes, we should, you know, we want to do all we can to help ourselves physically. Uh, you know, given what I've, uh, my, my track record lately, I'm not going to give out any advice. I continually hurt myself for some reason. 
There are a number of factors there to consider, but some things are out of our control. But there are things that are contributing to spiritual, internal, external, but also spiritual contributors. Verse 3 and 9 and 10, you help, you, there's, a, there's an enemy involved. There's an attack that's coming. And friends, we must not forget the existence of the devil who is our adversary. He wants us to curse God with our mouths and our lives. He wants us trusting in our impulses and living from those impulses as well. He wants you to do everything impulsively by what feels good. Oh, if I just do this, if I participate in that, it'll immediately bring relief. And then there's, if things get worse. If I could just gratify myself with this. And he just traps you more and more and more. His object, do not miss this, is to so depress God's people that he can go to the man of the world, Lloyd-Jones says, and say, there are God's people. Do you want to be like that? Maybe you, you could think of other factors. Like, you know, you've gone through great disappointment. That's led to spiritual depression. Maybe personal failure in your life. The burden, a burden of getting old. The list is probably, probably endless, isn't it? Friends, take all these internal, external, and spiritual factors to the Lord. Take them to the Lord in prayer. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Watch him settle you as you commune with him through Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, beloved. All of this to say, express yourself honestly in prayer. God alone can help us through spiritual depression. Seek his face so that he may lift yours. Number two, number two, remember what God has done and will do. Remember what God has done and will do. And I'm going to focus here now on verses four and eight. I see Barb and Jake here. I always want to sign it four and eight, you know. They do sign language. That's why I do that. All right, back to the text. Remember what God has done and will do. Verse 4 uses the verb here, I remember. It means recall, call to mind. Usually as affecting present feeling, thought, or action. So the psalmist, his mind already calls to, has already called to mind his pains, but here he deliberately recalls the blessings of knowing God. The blessings of knowing God. In verse 4 and 8, we're given a helpful treatment to spiritual depression, and that is to meditate on the record of God's goodness to his people. It focuses your thoughts on God's ability to help you rather than your inability to help yourself. Friends, this is quite simply the renewing of the mind by the word. He remembers what God has done in the past and will do in the present, verse 8. In verse 4, he misses joining with others in public worship in the house of God. You see that? Sometimes folks don't know how badly they need to get back to worship. Sometimes in great clarity, clarity they realize what a grace it is. And friends, missing worship with God's people, staying isolated will dry your soul. It will depress you further and make you subject to the evil one. In verse 4, he could, not, he could have been troubled, by the way. Look at verse 4. He could have been troubled by memories of the past as reflected on, on the better days. 
Uh, you, know, you know, do you ever long for the better days of the past? Well, do it in a healthy way. And I think this psalm has that. You know, do it as an encouragement to believe, like he does here, that, that God will act again for us. Use good memories of worship to alleviate distress, not compile it. Sometimes we can look back in a way that just makes things worse. He reminds himself of God. Why does he do this? Because he was depressed and, forgot, and had forgotten God. So that his faith and his belief in God and in God's power and in, God's, and in his, excuse me, his relationship to God were not what they ought to be. And so he goes back to the Lord. In verse 8, he shows confidence that in the future that God will not forsake him in the end. Sensibly right now, he feels bereft of God's love. But he reminds himself of God's steadfast affection for him in verse 8. You know, God will not leave or forsake his people, those who are his people by faith in Christ. Isn't that what Jesus told us at the end of Matthew? I will be with you even to the end of the age. And he told this to a group of disciples who he knew would be encountering spiritual depression. He is with us through the Spirit. So even in suffering, we have to remember verse 8. We have to remember it. If we do not meditate on truth, beloved, we will give in to unbelief. And unbelief will feed spiritual depression. It always does. Is that you here today? Maybe you're looking to see if Jesus can be your therapy treatment for your worries and sufferings. Um, that would be a miss, uh, a, a, a miss, a, a a shot and a miss there on that. That's not how you should understand Jesus. What you have to do is see the truth, the truth about God, the truth about yourself, the truth about who he is and what we must do to be saved. As you can see, this, this psalm is not merely, speaking of therapy, this isn't mere emotional uh, you know, catharsis. He's not just catharting here. But this is a focused expression of trust that the God who acted graciously on his, on his behalf in the past would do so yet again. And so the divine song here sustains his life. God's songs do not extinguish suffering. Let me be clear. But the psalmist has found a rock for his feet to stand on even though he's still underwater. This is no mindless meditation. What we are to envision and, and glean from this is an expectant, straining anticipation of God's deliverance. The Christian life is warfare. It is a battle. And we need the grace of God. We need the grace of God to be saved and we need the grace of God to persevere. Are you persevering? Are you hanging on to easy believism today? Well, I said a prayer, but life's gotten really hard. I'm not, really, I'm not staying with Jesus. I'm doing this other thing now. And then you haven't understood the gospel. How many times does the word tell us to strengthen our weak arms and feeble knees? How many times does it talk to us about running the race? There is a straining to the Christian life. 
This is a spiritually aggressive confidence that God will act and show himself faithful based on past performance. Friends, the gift of faith from God makes it possible to say thank you to God before one receives an answer. Psalm 42 says, my confidence triumphs over my despair. I don't have to wait until he acts to thank him for doing so. So here's a lesson for our souls. Great encouragement follows acts of praise. Discouragement and doubt drag us down during trouble. Praising God will lift, in light of his promises especially, will lift our spirits and prepare us for God's deliverance. But we have to pray back the promises to him. Ever been so hurt, so discouraged, so depressed, and then came to church and found your heart strangely warm and found your heart lifted as God's praises were sung and prayed and preached in the assembly? I certainly hope so. Praising God can take us from from haggard, vexed, troubled, perplexed, introspective appearance to looking composed, calm, Balanced and bright, to quote the good doctor. This is not the putting on of a mask, by the way. We certainly don't need that in the church. But something that is inevitable. If we praise the Lord and focus on him, he will begin to lift our faces. Even in the midst of suffering. I'm going to do another sidebar. This is a different series. You know, Martin Lord Jones was both a medical doctor and a great pastor. And the good doctor noted one of the main reasons we want to take this head-on spiritual depression like the psalmist is for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. He said, in a sense, a depressed Christian, in a sense, now that's an important phrase, in a sense, a depressed Christian is a contradiction in terms. And he's a very poor recommendation for the gospel. Are you too often giving the depressed appearance of unhappiness and a lack of freedom and and of an absence of joy to the dishonor of God? It's not a sin to be depressed and go through suffering. It's a sin to ignore God and the promises we have in him. Shouldn't our lives, friends, be attractional rather than repellent? As Lloyd-Jones said, we must so live that the world would be compelled to say, would to God I could be like that. Would to God I could live in this world and go through this world as that person does. On the other hand, if we are in, the right, in a right relationship with God and in true spiritual condition, that again quite inevitably must express itself in our countenance, he says. So we are not to put on some fake mask as other religious groups would do. There's too much of that. And some of you perhaps disop yourself to do this, just to put on a fake mask. Don't, don't do that. You don't need to put, on, put anything on. Friends, if we are doing what the psalmist is here doing, communing with the Lord, seeking Him, joy will come. Happiness is a different discussion. But joy in the Lord is real. The joy of having your Savior's love cannot help, cannot, you cannot help but express itself in your, in your life. My Savior and my God, as he says here in the text. My Jesus, I love thee. 
the psalmist here was spiritually relentless, refusing to concede the battle to his enemies, knowing that this that his God was the kind of God who quenches the thirst of those who faithfully seek him for the water of renewal and hope. All that to say, remember what God has done and will do. God alone can help us through spiritual depression. Seek God's face so that he may lift yours. Number three, preach God's word to your soul. Preach God's word to your soul. You know, Psalm 42 is an invitation to eavesdrop a little bit, right? Well, not a little bit, a lot. On a man's private preaching to himself. Verses 5 and 11 are the chorus here. The psalmist composes himself, pulls himself together, as it were, and preaches to his soul. James Montgomery Boyce said the author of this psalm does not give into depression or self-pity, but rather takes himself in hand and wrestles through it. You can see there in verses 5 and 11, the beginning of verse 5 and 11, he rebukes his dejection of soul, and then he calls himself to hope. And the word here for hope refers to waiting on God, hoping in God. Not a futile activity, as is faith that God will act and bring deliverance because he said so in his word. To overcome difficulty, not only praises God, he preaches God to his own heart. When we are panicked and fearful, when we are listening to ourselves, it can bring on a real panic attack. And the psalmist, however, attempting to fight off the fear that has become you know, widespread in, the, in his heart and mind, speaks to himself instead of listening to himself. He says twice to himself, hey, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Put your hope in God. Friends, we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us, as Lord Jones said. And this is a battle all of our lives, isn't it? We, are allow, we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves, he said. How much unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we're listening to self instead of talking to self from God's word? I mean, somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? Is it God's word stored within? Friends, this is, I want to be clear and gracious and patient here. This is not forcing our emotions. I want to be clear on that. It's informing our minds and hearts. It means regularly spending time in prayer and Bible reading, even when you are quite dry. Pastor Garrett, are you saying we need to pray and read our Bibles? Yes. I know that's radical counsel, isn't it? It's not. But man, it is God's means of grace. You know, we need to stop listening to what our flesh tells us, what our culture says we need to do. You know, the whole, this whole thought press process right here in Psalm 42 and 43, by the way, is contrary to the age of the authentic self we, we have all been reared, that we've all been reared to be here in the West, where we value our feelings and moods so much today that they're, that's what we're led by completely. 
As I've said many times, there were feelings I had at 16 that I'm so glad did not, I did not make, make that, the decision based at that time. How about you? Yeah. Our feelings really are, in many ways, the shallowest part of our being. Our feelings matter. I want to be clear. They do. I'm not going to downplay your feelings. They're yours. But not to the level that the culture says, in the day-to-day, we are to combat bad feelings with praise. Throughout the day, sometimes. Dwell in God's word daily. Don't neglect meeting with the saints regularly and sing songs of praise constantly all in a spirit of prayer. And friends, we should know the joy of prayer. Don't come to the Bible like chicken soup for the soul. That will make you further distraught. Study the Bible for content. Get the truth out of the text. Remind yourself of who God is and who you are in Christ and what God has done for you and what He promises those who put their trust in Him. So do you enjoy God in the Word? Do you long after Him as a deer pants for water? Does your soul seek Him earnestly because His loving kindness is better than life? Are you with joy drawing water from the wells of salvation? And do you long for the courts of the Lord and count one day in His house better than a thousand elsewhere? Can you say that the Lord is your strength and your portion? Friends, this is the experiential language of the Scriptures. I want to be clear again. Let me just slow down. Slow down, Garrett. I will. Preach it to myself. Slow down. This is not forcing yourself to feel in a certain way, but rather directing your thoughts until your heart, sooner or later, is engaged. Pastor, are you saying if we regularly renew our minds with God's word, likely our affections and emotions will follow? Yes. Much of the thinking and self-communicating that we must do has to do with Christian hope. And friends, we need to bathe ourselves in the promises of God's word every day. That's, the, that's, the, that's what I look forward to the most every day. I'm almost in a foul mood if I don't get to have that time. I need the word. I need to be washed in the word. I want to make sure that it's happening in my home and in my life. Why? Because the days are evil. Because spiritual depression is just around the corner. Thinking on Christ and heaven and the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. They will help you dealing with death. Your own death or someone else's. But meditating on these things is crucial in the midst of suffering. Friends, uh, this is not advice in Psalm 42. He's not giving advice. Uh, He's preaching. He knows throwing good advice into the darkness of the soul is like throwing popcorn into outer space. If I could quote uh, Jared Wilson on that. He doesn't need good advice. He needs good news. And so do you and I. We need good news. We all do. That God, we need to know that God created us for his glory, but that we've all sinned. We've all rebelled against God. We've all contributed to our own depression and the depression of others, by the way, through our love of self and rebellion and against God's rule. Our world is fallen and dying because the wages of sin, sin against God, rebellion against God is death. But God in his amazing love gives us hope through Jesus. 
He is the rock. Christ is the rock. And the one who extends salvation to any and all who repent and believe. Friends, Jesus was no stranger to grief. He's the man of sorrows. He put on our true and full humanity. As Isaiah said, Isaiah said he was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And this Jesus never sinned in his humanity on our behalf. And he went to the cross to bear our sin and guilt and God's wrath at Calvary's cross for any who would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus alone. And to prove that God accepted payment for our sins, he raised Christ from the dead. Christ is alive. And he's coming again. This is the blessed hope. Put your hope in God. Our hope is in Christ that he's coming again. Friends, I can't reveal this to you. Your own natural eyes and reading can do. If you're under conviction today and the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart, today's the day. Repent and believe. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ. If you're going through doubts, pray that God would reveal this to you. Our greatest hope is that people may know Jesus before an hour of severe grief. That's certainly true. But more than that, the most severe grief is eternal abandonment. To be eternally separated from God's blessed presence and only know his wrath. If you remain in your sins, you will only know that for all eternity because God is good and holy and just. The cross of Christ is a confrontation with us and our sin and that God is indeed both light and love. Come to Christ. When we read, put your hope in God, we're hearing, put your hope in Christ. He is God's son. We preach Christ to ourselves and to the world. We either preach to ourselves a gospel of a aloneness, poverty, and inability, or true gospel of God's presence, power, and constant provision. We are either preaching to ourselves a gospel that produces fear or a gospel that propels us to courage and hope. We're, we, the world has its gospels, false gospels. We have the one true gospel. Are you sowing rest in Christ and in, in God's wisdom or are you sowing further panic into your soul? You're receiving some preaching, some form or another. Where, you know, throughout the week, when you step out of this building and you go and you do your work thing, you read, you watch, whatever you're taking in, something's discipling you, something is preaching to you. Is it the gospel of this world or is it the gospel of Christ? As you face illness, the loss of a job, disloyalty of a friend, what message will you bring to you? When life seems hard and unfair, what gospel will you preach to yourself? You can't look to somebody else all the time to do this. There's some personal responsibility here. You have to go back to God's word. You have to preach Christ to yourself. When parenting or marriage seems difficult and overwhelming, what will, what will you share with you? When your dreams elude your grasp, what will you say to you? When you face a disease that you thought you'd never face, what are you going to preach to yourself? Shouldn't we be saying, what business have you to be worried, self? Put your hope in God.
Pastor, it's like you're saying we should turn on ourselves to some extent. Yes, there are times we need to do that. Turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say, put your hope in God instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way that goes on and on. Condemn those bad thoughts. That's what I mean. Confront yourself when that part of you is even used by the evil one to condemn and break things worse. Bring God's word to bear upon it. Friends, this is a Psalm 42. You might need to just take it and print and put it in your house. It's one of those fighting passages that when you are in desperation, you will cling to in the middle of the night when you cannot sleep. Psalm 42 is for our good so that we might fight the good fight of faith. Well, I should conclude. It really is true. No one talks to you more than you do. God in his grace has given you his word so that you may preach to yourself what is true in those moments when the only one talking to you is you. Some of you, it's, it, you know, maybe today it's been a wake-up call to go home and, you know, blow the dust off the Bible. You know, it's like, I've, I've found it. It's like, it's like the time of Reformation. They found the scriptures and they translated it. And God's word is let loose in your life. It's exactly what needs to take place. You know, put down the, put down the remote. Put down the phone and pick up God's word. And having done that, you know, defy yourself. Defy other people. Defy the devil, the whole world, and say, I will praise him, my Savior and my God. There's not a time in the midst of all of our sufferings that he's not worthy of our praises. He's always worthy. Some of you really, right now in the midst of trials, This is the time. Keep praising. Keep thanking him. Perhaps the time has come for you to take hold of yourself. Preach a sermon, not to others, but to your soul. Remembering God's ways, recalling his faithfulness. Compose and calm yourself with a reminder that he who acted powerfully in the past will do so yet again in the present and future. So, I don't need to envy the powers of Spock and to end my emotions. No, I need to display that my hope is in God in the midst of them because he gives me all I need in Jesus. How about you? Let's pray. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? There is no one. There's no one like you. No one, nothing, exalted and holy like you. Loving and gracious, forgiving, just and wrathful. Resolve us by your spirit in our hearts to say we will praise you, my God and my Savior. And cause us to put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.